Good morning, Dr. Raj Barnes. Good morning. How are you? Good. Fantastic. Right. Very excited about all these articles that we're going to be going through. So there may be uncertainties about the duration of protection with a single dose. But the administration of a second dose within one month after the first, as recommended, provides little added benefit in the short term, while high-risk persons who could have received a first dose with that vaccine supply are left completely unprotected. Doc, why the necessity to get two doses of the COVID-19 vaccine? I think it's because of the research they were doing and I think they realized that taking two doses will probably get a better protection and also I think the duration of protection because they worried it's just one dose whether you get enough you know, duration whether it's just last six months or nine months or one year so I think with two doses they expect the cover to be quite longer at least one year earlier research shows that taking two doses the protection level goes up but I think it's changing it keeps on changing very fast now with uh, countries like Israel that's vaccinated a lot of the population they keep doing it as a study so a lot of data are coming out and uh, now they're saying that maybe one vaccine will give you good protection so I think it will keep on changing but time being they are I think going to stick to the two doses here in Malaysia will be still two doses because it will give us probably a better protection and also a longer duration so it's kind of like a booster because I remember like my hepatitis B jab I had one and after that a few months later I had another one it's basically a booster basically is it? Yeah, basically just to help you last longer and get a stronger dose of antibodies. So like hepatitis is actually three in the beginning, you know, one and then after one month, then after six months. So, oh, three, okay, so, okay. Yeah, so I think with our COVID is two, but things will keep on changing. Let's wait and see. So you think that there's a chance that basically one dose will be enough and not needing yeah. the second one? I think the one from Israel, it says that the first dose will give you about 85 or 86% protection, so which is quite not bad. So I think uh, even if somebody just gets one dose, it's better. At least start the protection starts for you straight away but if, the, if the, they say two doses then we should go for two doses mm. uh, you know especially if you're looking at travel pass they'll want you to make sure that you get your two doses yes. so un- yeah. until the guidelines change again so doc on appearance dr anthony fauci who is the chief medical advisor on covid19 for the u.s president said that double masking is a move that just makes common sense and is likely to provide more protection against the transmission of covid19 how true is this claim like, what happens to someone who is double-masked? I mean, like, what he says, he just, like, comes and it's more likely whether really it protects, gives you better protection, I don't know. Most important is to wear a mask. I mean, the problem in America is a lot of people didn't even wear one mask. Mm, correct. You mm. know, let alone two. Right. So... So I think for them just to start wearing a mask will be a great thing to happen. But I think uh, enough has been done to show that even one mask should be enough, you know. And of course, if you put double mask, it will definitely give you better protection. Uh, but uh, whether how much more it protects you, I think all the other things are important. So you wear a mask, you keep your social distance, avoid mm-hmm. crowded areas, keep your, you know, uh, make sure you sanitize very often. So things like that, I think it's a combination of all than just wearing double mask and then hoping, you know, you can do all the other things. No, so I think all the SOPs that we followed. I think also, like, it, it matters that you breathe because, you know, it's sometimes hard enough breathing with a single mask um, and then you've got a double mask on top of that. It, it You know, that's going to be super challenging as well if, yeah, if you think, don't I have... Think it's, yeah, I agree with you. It'd be not, you're not easy. Like, in hospital now, we are asked to not only wear a mask, you also have to wear a face shield. And sometimes if you're just claustrophobic, you know, wearing the thing all around. Mm. <laughs> so... Wearing two masks, is, I, I don't think it's going to make... I think if, uh, if anything people want to do, they can wear a single mask and wear a face shield. Yeah. Oh, that's that interesting. Because that better protection, yeah. yeah. But another thing, but it's how people wear the masks as well. Because I keep seeing how they're about to go out somewhere or they, in their car, they push the mask down to their chin. Apparently, that's a no-no. 
I always hear about that. Why is that? I mean, you can't. You, you're, that's why you're exposed to the you know, your oral and your nasal cavity that bear the virus. So you must cover completely your whole nose and the mouth must be covered. So no point if you bring it down and your nose is exposed because you still can spread. Correct, yeah. Doc, how detrimental is binge eating and drinking for our health? Depends on how much you eat and you know what you drink and also depends on the underlying health status, isn't it? So if someone mm-hmm. who's got uh, you know things like metabolic disease and diabetes, for example, heart issues and you know uh, blood pressure that's not very controlled. And we have seen these you know people suddenly overeating a lot of carbohydrate foods and drinking a lot of sweet drinks and all that. Sugars can shoot up. The other thing that happens, especially if you take a lot of high carbohydrate meal diets, you, you suddenly find the blood flow has to suddenly go towards the stomach to try to digest the food, you know, because you've got such a heavy meal coming oh. in. And sometimes it takes away blood supply from the brain and the heart. So people have been known to go into heart failure. Uh, people have been known to go and get, uh, you know, a stroke uh, because this is happening. Uh, in fact, there's a study in UK where they found that in nursing homes, a lot of uh, older people suddenly after lunch seem to go into heart failure. One really? Oh my yeah, God. one of the things was because of the high carb diet they were taking. Uh, just seeing the diet and things got better. So I think you must be very careful with any binge eating and drinking. You know, uh, for example, people have been having heavy food and, and combining it with alcohol, for example, that can be very serious, you know. Yeah. Mm. So I think you must be very careful. Uh, that we shouldn't eat sudden like too much especially high carbohydrate and saturated fats at one goal that brings new meaning to the fact you know people go oh you know I've got a food coma you know jokingly because they've eaten too much like at Christmas or those kinds of things it's, it's always usually because of some buffet you know what I mean? Or, yeah. There's just yeah. too much uh, variety, right? But, you know, the, um, there's also this um, quite a few mukbang, this sort of trend um, mukbang stars have actually also passed away yeah. from their regular binge eating for sport. Yeah. Do they train in a different way to be able to tolerate that amount of food or it, are they open to the same dangers? Most of these people who are actually training, they actually eat more of proteins and right. a lot of vegetables and that should be a bit safer. But if you take uh, overall lot of carbs and saturated fat that's why you know like for example uh, when you talk of uh, brana leaf rice you know that can be a very heavy carb saturated fat sort of meal and that can be something that can be more detrimental but if someone just takes like a lot of weight trainers they eat a lot of proteins probably they, they are okay because proteins take lo- longer to digest and slower so i think depends on what you eat and also how well physically you are so that's why they say if you want to stay fuller for longer you need to eat protein all right not carbs because that's my uh, my failed strategy every time i go for um, (laughs) buffets and everything i always go go for the carbs never do that doc in a world's first genetic study researchers found that uh long-term heavy consumption of coffee six or more cups a day can increase the amount of lipids that's fats in your blood to significantly heighten your risk of cardiovascular disease let me tell you why we're doing this okay because asha drinks a lot of coffee technically i don't believe i do i used to drink a lot more so i can say that i drink drink a moderate amount now but anyway doc going back to you in this question <laughs> what's the correlation between heavy coffee consumption and heart issues i mean the interesting is like a genetic study and then now we know from uh, you know the people's uh, the lot of uh, genetic studies are going on that some people have what they call good genes for their coffee and some have bad genes for coffee you know so, so there's some people who have metabolizers for coffee that means their genes are such that you know the moment they take coffee it just metabolizes very fast it gives you that effect of 
wakes you up a bit, makes you a bit more alert, and then if the liver breaks it down and it's gone out of the system. Then there are people who are slow metabolizers where the coffee doesn't break down, it's, it's still there in the body. And these are the people you find will get, can't sleep, they have tremors, uh, their palpitations because the coffee is still there. And these are people who complain that coffee makes them more, you know, side effects are there with coffee compared right. to these other people. So I think it's, it's again how your genes are. If you're someone who can take coffee and in half an hour can go and sleep, that means you probably are the, are the one with the fast metabolizer. Oh, that's so me. No All right. My mom's yeah. like that. She can just drink a cup of coffee if she fancies it and go to bed and be fine. Yeah, it doesn't affect yeah. me at all. So, so they, I think they don't have the problems, but the ones who are slow metabolizers, they are the one probably will have longer effects, you know, because the heartbeat is faster, they get more uh, poor sleep, they get all these effects of uh, tremors and all that. Mm. And these are the, probably the ones that are going to heart issues also because all these releasing the wrong stress hormones can increase your bond of lipids right. in your fats in your blood. So it is very easy. If you find that you take coffee and you get all the side effects, don't take coffee anymore or take or limit it to one or two cups a day. Take decaffeinated or something like that. What time should they be stopping drinking coffee? Like where's the marker, the line in the sand? I mean, it's like people who, you know, get up at night and pass uh, urine loss. So I always tell them after six, don't take too much of fluids. And I think if you want to have a good night's sleep, maybe make sure your last cup of coffee is maybe somewhere in the afternoon. Doc, we're talking about sleep here, <laughs> a subject that you and JD seem to love. We love sleep. So yeah. researchers have identified 123 regions in the human genome that are associated with daytime napping and three distinct mechanisms that promote napping. Many napping-related genes also regulate other aspects of sleep. So does Spain have it right, you know, <laughs> allowing for its employees to take time out in the day to have their little siesta? And if so, why is this the case? Yeah, I think it's uh, been proven a long time that, you know, especially people who take a short nap, and it should be a short nap, that means uh, about half an hour or less, uh, to just for the body to rejuvenate itself, especially for the brain to relax for a while, and then they get up and, you know, they are up uh, again and more alert. And this has been shown many times, even more other research have been done to show that. But moment you sleep more than half an hour for 45 minutes, then either you have to sleep for two hours and get up fresh or you will find that if you get up, you'll be more groggy, you know, groggy and mm. irritable and all that. So the, somehow the magic number is uh, half an hour. But like again, we're doing a lot of research in this and again, people with different genes have seems to different. So I think again, you have to listen to your body and see how you feel and how you react to, you know, afternoon sleep, whether you need it or not. Uh, some people don't seem to have any issues working to right through. They're excited. Mm. Some people find that after lunch, if they just have a short nap or a snooze for about 20 minutes or half an hour, they feel much better after that so I think it's all up to how you feel make sure you, because the other problem you find a lot of times is that people who sleep too long in the afternoons and can't sleep at night so that's another issue that you can have but I think half an hour is a good number to look at like half an hour or 20 minutes you know I'm actually reading this article right now the one thing that just kind of jumped out at me is like there are nap genes genes I was going to say yeah yeah basically all these uh, genes are just there you know for what what they mean probably a nap gene is probably of a sleep gene uh, you know and whether some variants are there that some people uh, you know we know there's a variant now that some people just need four hours of sleep a day and they're alert you know mm. they got no problems with uh, any issues with the uh, uh, health right but the others who if they don't if they sleep less than six hours the risk of dying is higher so I think these are all the new things that we are learning 